so many churches do the music well. You know, we've got the awesome songs and we have the lights and we have the really amazing gatherings and all the uh, entertaining pieces, but people are drawn in and kept in and feel loved when they're listened to, when they're actually looked in the eyes and they're seen for who they are. That's why I say it starts with care, just basic caring for people. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. I'm Laura Howe, and welcome to the Care Ministry Podcast. On the show today, we are going to be talking with Kimberly Britt about the value of peer support and the groups she offers at My Quiet Cave. Peer support is a term used to describe the emotional and practical support between two people who share a common experience. This term is used most often in the addictions and mental health field, but it's becoming more and more common. Recognizing peer support is seeing that the lessons learned from living through hardship and recovering or overcoming, that these lessons are valuable and they're skills that are valuable. Research done by the Mental Health Commission of Canada has identified that peer support is a core contributor to recovery, meaning that the support offered by those who have lived experience significantly, like significantly contributes to a person's recovery. So often we think that people need degrees or medical training to be a supporter, but that's just not true. Support can come from lived experience. Now, I'm not recommending that lived experience is sufficient to offer medical treatment, advice, or therapy, but rather companionship, support, advocacy, and offering encouragement and hope. These are the unique and very valuable skills that peers excel in. And these are the type of supports that people are coming to the church for. The church is a community of people where we offer care. And I believe that the three pillars of care ministry are belonging, purpose, and hope. In episode 18, I go into much more detail, but what I believe is if you want to have a culture of care in your church, rather than just programs of care, then you need to look at every department, every program and ministry, and see how you're infusing belonging, purpose, and hope into every interaction. And this too is what My Quiet Cave is all about. They are a nonprofit organization dedicated to creating safe spaces for mental wellness through peer-led groups. They equip peers to lead Christ-centered support groups in their churches and communities. They have three small group programs. One is Overcome, by, and that's for adults. Two is Fearless, and that's a program for youth. And three is Fierce Love, and this is a small group program specifically for moms. These are Christ-centered groups designed to create welcoming communities focused on hope. And what I thought was so incredible about these groups is that they are easy to access and they're really easy to navigate. Essentially, they are like having a turnkey mental health ministry, allowing all churches, not just big churches with lots of resources, but all churches, low and high level of resources, to offer care for those who are struggling. And they do this with those three small group programs, as well as a long-term support group format. 
And how it works is that peer group facilitators complete a three hour online training and are connected with mentors who will track with them throughout their facilitating journey. Churches can choose which groups would be most appropriate for the community. And My Quiet Cave supports their peer leaders with training and mentorship. I'm excited for you to hear Kimberly, executive director, as she comes with wisdom from both her lived experience with anxiety and trauma, as well as her clinical and leadership training. Kimberly grew up on the Gold Coast of Mississippi with her younger brother. And unfortunately, like many people, Kimberly's family may have looked great on the outside, a Christian home with two parents, two kids, but inside the home, there was a lot of instability and conflict. And as the oldest, Kimberly took on the role of protector of both her younger brother and her mom. I felt overly responsible for my little brother and for my mom because I, I grew up in a house. I I, I say never felt safe. There was a lot of abuse and uh, financial insecurity. There was a lot of trauma and my mom, I always felt like I needed to protect her uh, emotionally not just physically. And the same with my brother. I always had to hide and um, shield him from things and other people and bullies, not just people in my household. Mm. Did that carry and, on to your student, like as a, as a young adult? Oh my goodness. It, it did, especially through college. Um, my parents finally divorced my senior year of college. I say finally, I know divorce is a terrible thing, but in this situation. It was a blessing. I I wish it had come many, many years before. I think a lot of pain would have been avoided. Um, When my mom finally filed for divorce from my dad and left, I I still felt very even more responsible for her. I had become her best friend. And I think it's a great thing for to have a friendship with your parents. But in that case, it was just kind of a very enmeshed, not healthy friendship because my mom Uh, relied on me so much. And I was a kid. And so I was always calling her and checking on her coming home in the summers. And I can relate to that story. It's almost mirrored exactly, to be honest with you. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, almost exactly where my parents finally divorced when I think I was in my first or second year of of university or college. And uh, the very same, the absolute very same. So I can resonate with that so much. For you, did that influence what career path? Uh, I asked that only because for myself, um, when I was quite young, I was told I was bossy and always, you know, had to have it your way and those typical strong-willed child issues, which now looking back are leadership qualities. Uh, but I went into a caregiving role because that was my function so much of my childhood. And I thought that's what I needed to do. Huh. Well, Hearing you say that, I guess I'm thinking about it differently because I think, oh, no, I didn't go into a caregiving role immediately. That came later. But I think it definitely shaped my personality. I always know what's best for people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's hard sometimes even being a counselor. It's, uh, you know, I should just listen, <laughs> right, and meet people where they are. But it's like, but I, but I want to take control of the mm-hmm. situation and help people. Like, you need to do this. Or um, my friends would always call me Miss yes. Resource because I... <laughs> you know, knew where to go, knew what to do, but it, but it, it can be a good thing, definitely. And then, but then sometimes when people don't want your help or they don't want to do things the way that you think they should be done, it can cause 
tension mm. or problems. I we're just sitting on this for a minute just because this resonates so much and I'm hoping it resonates with other people. I I was always the problem solver. I had to fix or solve the problem. Yes. And everybody was a project because I could do something to fix or solve the problem. And when my first couple years of being a social worker and counselor, now I was within an agency. So if someone didn't like their counselor, they just said, hey, can I have a new counselor? And I think it was within my first year, I was what we call fired by six clients, six. And they were like, Laura, that's the most anyone has ever asked for transferred. Now, mind you, some of them, <laughs> because of this instinct to fix and, and you learned so fast that fixing things for someone or creating, making someone into a project or telling someone the pathway is not helpful. Like that's not how you support people. Uh, you, you support people by listening and, and empowering and coming alongside. But that definitely for me and Maybe Yara, you could share. Uh, that was a learned skill. Like I, that didn't come naturally. Oh my goodness! I think I'm still learning <laughs> that, Laura. Honestly, <laughs> thank you for sharing that. That's that's funny, but it's not funny. Like, yeah, oh. and I was just like, oh, that, and and I think I I looked. People thought I was a high school student. Um, so some of it was I I looked 14. Um, but some mm -hmm. of it was just me impressing my opinion on other people. I was like, oh, this is not good. So thank God for the patience of people with new therapists. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you probably did know what was best in a lot of ways. It's just if people aren't there and they're not ready to hear that, they're. You know they have to come to that on their own and and we're trying to empower people to make their own decisions for what's best for them by giving them options but it's hard when you think but but this would be so good it's so helpful for you yeah i think it created a lot of anxiety in me and still i'm an i can be an anxious person uh, i do live with anxiety uh, diagnosed anxiety disorder um, which i think a lot came from the trauma and came from feeling like the weight was on my shoulders very young age, four or five years old, but even carrying that into my childhood, how that just evolved and feeling a lot of anxiety and pressure to do things and help people when it actually wasn't my job or my responsibility. That's the word responsibility. I felt like I was responsible for everyone around me and for the happiness of everyone and for the success of everyone. And it, it created so much stress and pressure that I still carry to this day. I mean, I'll go into situations or, or even at home, I think, you know, talking about needing things to be just right, or things to be clean or um, kids to be okay, just feeling that, oh, feeling overly responsible for everyone and in every situation. Yeah. I have to tell my husband, my house is a reflection of my mind. And if it's chaos out there, like in the kitchen and in the mudroom and laundry, I'm like, it's chaos in my head. But it's so hard to separate that. I don't think that's a healthy thing. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just like, oh, that's so good. I, I can relate to that so much. Yeah, <laughs> I, my, my husband's finally kind of understands that now before he's like, just let it go. Just let it go. I'm like, you don't understand if it's, if it's chaotic, I can't focus. You know, so I think there's a balance oh, to that too. There's yeah. truth for sure. Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing about your experience with anxiety and trauma. Did you grow up thinking this was normal or these experiences of stress, anxiety are normal? Or when did you start discovering that this is impacting your life and, and is and is something more than just, you know, who you are? Yeah, I, it took a long time really to really 
kind of put my finger on what was going on for the longest time growing up when I was younger, you know, single digits. And then even in my teens, I just felt like I knew something was different about me and I didn't fit in with people, especially at my church. I did not fit in at church. And I felt, I felt like I had to hide what I was really feeling or who I was. I had to pretend to be happy and pretend to be what I'd say, quote, normal, because especially at church, you know, people are, people are filled with the love of Christ and they're filled with joy. And I, I didn't feel that most of the time. So I just thought I was defective and I thought I was a, a fake Christian or a bad Christian. Um, and, and so I just started faking it really, and just pretending that everything was okay. And when I would say something, you know, just speak up now and then it was just, oh, it's just normal teenage hormones or, oh, you know, all teenagers are depressed. That's just the hormones. And you're just going through a phase. And it wasn't until college, I thought, well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm depressed. Maybe that's what's going on. Cause I knew there was just something off, just things I would do that. I don't like to use the word normal that weren't normal, but um, you know, they weren't, they weren't is deaf. I could definitely tell there was something different about the way I reacted in situations and the average person around me. So calling into work for no reason and making up excuses, saying I was sick because I just felt like I can't do this today. I can't leave my house or um, backing out of plans last minute, never being able to honor commitments and just feeling just overwhelming emotions all the time and not knowing how to cope with those emotions. And it probably wasn't until my late twenties, early thirties, when I was in a counseling program of all places, I learned about anxiety, the difference between anxiety and stress. And I thought, oh, so maybe all those years that I thought I was just depressed or flaky, you know, I'd get called flaky or um, bipolar, um, all these labels that other people and friends put on me. I thought, man, anxiety makes a lot of sense. And this trauma response makes a lot of sense. And I just kind of, I feel like educating myself around a lot of things and the way our histories and our biology just plays a part in how we react and cope to emotions, I think was so incredibly helpful and validating um, to me and that I wasn't a freak. I wasn't, I wasn't uh, defective. I wasn't rotten inside. I had some learned and biological things that made me who I am. And I'm not a bad person. I just react differently in some situations. And I have to learn to cope and find better ways to cope with that. And I'm still working on that. <laughs> so. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>. Aren't we all? <laughs> I would love to hear, are you able to share or summarize what the difference between stress and anxiety is? Because I bet you some people are like, oh, never thought of it that way. Right. So stress, we all have stress. We have things that are, I say more the outside things, uh, you know, having a stressful job or work environment, or maybe being in a stressful season, like the holiday season, you know, knowing you have all these to do's, a lot of things going on and just, and, you know, can have emotional stress, you know, you, maybe you're going through a difficult time in a marriage or death of a, a loved one. There's just things that are stressful and a lot of people are able to cope with that and manage it, even though there are times when we're able to come through that and find ways to cope with that. 
for me with anxiety, it's not always something going on outside. It's, it's a feeling it's very physiological, at least for me. So I feel anxiety. I can wake up in the morning. Things can be great in my world. There's not really a stressful work environment. My kids are happy and healthy. Things are, I say good in the world, but I just feel anxiety. I feel my, you know, my chest is tight or I feel spikes of adrenaline. It's, it's a constant just feeling like there's a threat when there's not one. There's nothing provoking that. There's nothing provoking that. It's, it's, I feel it before I think of a problem. One of my friends used to say, everything's great until I think of a problem. (laughs) But, and with some people with anxiety, there are anxious thoughts. You know, there's a lot of worry. There's worry about things that might not happen that probably won't happen Mm -hmm. and feeling very anxious or stressed out about these kind of things. Um, Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. I think that's really helpful for people because, you know, if someone's coming to you for support and they're saying, I'm stressed, I'm stressed, I'm stressed, asking just a few small questions would be able to differentiate if someone is stressed because of an external situation, circumstance, pressure, tension, busyness, versus whether it's an internal building and of tension and of, like you said, that feeling of threat or adrenaline rush and panic or whatever might be coming. I think that's a really great way to differentiate the external versus internal. Right. And with stress, you can help people take things off their plate. Like, Hey, what can, what can we do to lighten your load? If you're stressed out, you've got a lot on your plate right now. You've got a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Or it's temporary. It's temporary. Right. With anxiety, there's times where I've struggled with it. it, you know, just heightened anxiety. It's, there's nothing that you can take off my plate right now. You know, I could be on vacation. Somebody could be helping me in the house, but I still feel it. I still feel this pressure from something and I can't identify mm. the threat. You feel the out of control. Completely out of control and uncomfortable in my mm. own body. I always say, I just feel very uncomfortable and I don't know how to always relieve that. I mean, for me, I've learned that exercise is a really big help. You know, when I feel all that tension to just go for a run or something like that. I mean, not everybody can do that. To... <laughs> or wants to. I hate running. I hate it too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Everyone says exercise and go for a run. I'm like, but what if you hate running? <laughs> yes. Or you don't feel like it. That's what's so funny is oftentimes the things that we need the most, we don't feel like it in the time. Just like, I'm so anxious. I'm so stressed out. I'm just so tight. And the last thing I want to do is leave my house and do something. Yeah. Um, right. But I know it's good for me. That's what works for me. That's right. Yeah. So in that experience, you said you were in your um, second year of college going through that, discovering that. Obviously, you mentioned um, you found support and help with that. Where did those lessons learned or how did how were you able to um, apply that? Because I was talking with someone the other day who was experiencing tremendous amount of anxiety and they felt disqualified from being in a helper or caregiver role. And, and I was like, no, this is a strength. And I could say that till I'm blue in the face, but internally that is such a struggle for some It people. is. I, it wasn't until I was in grad school, I was actually in grad school for counseling that I started to, you know, with the educational piece, the psychoeducational piece, understanding, but really it was community. And it was this authentic, incredible, loving, grace-filled community that I experienced with my cohort. And also with some of the professors in my program, I was around people that they were Christians. 
said, oh, you love Jesus. You identify as Christian. At the same time, some of them had failed marriages or had been through divorce or histories of addiction and mental health struggles, just you name it, you know, life is what I call it. You know, they actually experienced real life and being able to talk with them and understand I wasn't alone and that there was nothing defective about me and them listening to me without judgment and still loving me and telling me I was still good it, in spite or uh, of anything that I'd ever been through or my current level of health. And that was incredibly healing for me. That was a starting point, I'd say, of healing. I'm not healed. <laughs> there's there's <laughs> layers at a time. And that really helped. And um, But it's still been a journey from then. I mean, that was almost 10 years ago. It's still been a journey from that point to feel, I'd say, qualified to be in a helper position, to be in a leadership position, especially. It's something I still struggle with, even though I know the truth. I know that I've been called and qualified to this position because of who God is, not because of who I am. And so I can really relate to people and empathize with people that are in that position feeling like, oh, I've got this going on, or I feel like a, a, an imposter, you know, that imposter syndrome, or because of this, I'm disqualified. Because I think a lot of us feel that way at times. But I feel like peers make the most amazing leaders, especially in peer leadership and with support groups of like what we do. You've experienced both sides of the coin of, of that experience of, of leading others as well as feeling discouraged or struggling. How can we lean in to the people or how, what, what tools or strategies would we be able to use, whether that's um, a resource or um, a support or maybe even in our culture of our church? What could we do to support our volunteers to step up and, and utilize those gifts of being a peer supporter? I think it comes with a cultural shift, a culture of safety instead of shame and judgment. And I'm not saying that, that that's what churches are, but a lot of the churches that I have been in, especially the church I grew up in, wasn't really a safe place to share and to be really vulnerable and authentic about what we're going through. You mentioned that as a kid that you felt that you had to pretend. I did. And and I don't know how much of that really was from leadership or people around me or how much right. was. Or as a child, that's <laughs> just what you do, try to fit in. <laughs> right. Trying to fit in. So I'm not, I'm not trying to point blame at anyone, but there are definitely ways that I'd say church leadership, starting with leadership can help to to shift that or at least help people like me that have struggled and like a lot of us to feel, to feel safe, to feel like we belong, to feel welcome, to be a part of the family of God, regardless of what we've gone through and are going through. And that does start with leadership. It starts from the pulpit, you know, sharing stories, authentic, safe story sharing and helping other people embrace their stories and embrace it through the lens of one radically loved and redeemed by God. And it comes from the pulpit, comes from volunteers, comes from care pastors. You know, just it's just basic caring, seeing people, uh, looking, looking around, you know, sitting by the people that aren't sitting by other people, talking with them, getting to know them, and not in a not putting them on the spot kind of way, 
but just meeting them where they are in the church and creating a culture of other people and members that do the same thing. I love that. I love that image of rather than um, being busy and running to and from, but being drawn to the people who are isolated, being drawn to the outliners and allowing people to share their story. I think that's really amazing. It is. I was just going to say, you know, we, we have so many churches do the music. Well, you know, we've got the awesome songs and we have the lights and we have the really amazing gatherings and all the uh, entertaining pieces, but it's people are drawn in and kept in and feel loved when they're listened to, when they're actually looked in the eyes and they're seen for who they are. That's why I say it starts with care. Just, just basic caring for people. I love that because that's what I often talk about with my work with churches. Like that, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> let's just use that as a promotion for what I do with churches because <laughs> it's helping people develop cultures of care in your church rather rather than pro- programs of care. That's kind of yeah, I love that. Oh, I'm all about that. Big, big, big fan. <laughs> And that's kind of what you're doing with My Quiet Cave. So I want to get into what you're doing with My Quiet Cave because your history and your experiences and then your your story informs and really strengthens what's happening at My Quiet Cave. So tell us a little bit about that. So we're a nonprofit in Denver, Colorado. I'll say that we were founded in 2011 to bridge faith and mental health. And now what we do is we equip people to lead mental wellness groups in their communities. And so we're all about empowering and equipping peers to come alongside other people and create these welcoming communities of hope and belonging where people build community, feel a sense of belonging and experience their innate value in Christ and also gain tools and skills for wellness to journey in mental and spiritual wellness together. Oh my gosh, it's like the culmination of everything that we've been talking about. It's so beautiful. I love it. It's creating, it's it's helping churches create those safe places for people to share, utilizing the strengths of peers while um, equipping them and empowering them to grow. And I love that. That's so beautiful. So what do you have, what resources do you have at My Quiet Cave? What we do is we write group curricula. And we also train peers to lead groups. So we have a couple of different groups for, we have a group for adults and for youth, actually, our new curriculum, I can talk about that. But they're eight week groups where people meet for an hour and a half, once a week for eight consecutive weeks. And the one we have for adults is called Overcome. And it is an eight week group experience for supporters and what I'd call overcomers to go through and learn tools and skills for wellness, build community, share their stories in a safe place and also hear other people's stories because there's so much power in hearing other stories as well and connecting and just seeing things from different perspectives, I think is really helpful and healing as well. And we also have a group for teens, or I say actually youth, 11 to 18 can use this, middle school, high school, and it's called Fearless. Comes from 2 Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear. So this one is also eight weeks long where students would meet for an hour, eight consecutive weeks. And then we have ongoing groups, long-term groups that we call anchor groups. And so once people come through the 
eight week, I'd almost call it a boot camp, but these eight week groups that are very structured and organized, then they can funnel into an anchor group, which is just that continued support and community, um, living life together, journeying through wellness and, and spiritual wellness together. I love that because I just finished up an eight week group at my church and people were like, well, we want to continue meeting. And I was like, well, it's an eight week group. Sorry about that. Like, well, let's go have a picnic this summer. Let's connect over the summer, go for walks or let's do lunch after a Sunday sometime. So, but it was all very, it's going to be all very ad hoc because we didn't have a format or a structure to be able to provide ongoing community. A uh, couple quick questions about those resources, both fearless and overcome. They, you said they're structure. Now, are they uh, what I would call psychoeducational? Like here, here's learning about uh, wellness, well-being and coping strategies and anxiety and about your spirit, soul and body? Or are they, is it a support um, model? It's a blend, actually. There okay, is definitely cool. okay. what I'd say psychoeducational in there. Learning about wellness, understanding that wellness is a balance. You know, all the things that can impact that. And we have a model in there that we call our anchors of wellness that are just all these pieces of that wellness wheel that help people understand, you know, what can I do? You know, what's kind of maybe missing? What's a little off balance here? What are some examples? A community is a big one. Understanding that we were made for community. We were created to be relational beings. And that is very important. Biological things that we can do. Self-care, you know, having rest and, you know, nutrition and just time with time with the Lord, quiet times is important. And then we also have tools in there. So I say professional tools, you know, knowing when I have a higher level of need, I might need a therapist or a doctor. That's so helpful. And is the youth the same? The youth is the same. The youth is, it's not quite as what I'd say. So overcome has a lot of scripture, you know, just some biblical truths in that. But what I, what I like about overcome, the one for adults is yes, here are scripture. Here's maybe what the Bible, or this is what Jesus said about wellness or this piece of mental health, but it's not trying to get anybody toward the right answer. Like, this is what it says. It's, we're going to put this verse here. And what is, what is God teaching you right now? What's the spirit teaching you? So it's very rooted in abiding. So there's the psychoeducational piece. There's this biblical perspective and worldview, but we're presenting a lot of different options. I would say a lot of different tools and resources and time and space to share stories but it's up to the person, you know, helping them advocate for themselves. And it's up to them between all these tools that they have and working in community and partnership with people, you know, a safe wellness team, and also with God to know what's the best, let's say, plan for their health and moving forward in their journey. With Fearless, we wanted to cast a wider net. So it's, it's strengths-based, meaning we're really trying to give young people a space to understand about how wellness is a balance and understand this psychoeducational piece of our mental, spiritual, emotional health, and also help them to um, experience their identity, again, as beloved children of God, and also to help them identify their strengths and celebrate their strengths, not focused on deficit, not focused on what I can't do, but what can I do? What are the unique talents and gifts have I been given? 
and then helping them at, by the end of this group kind of to pay that forward, understanding the importance of volunteering and, and mentoring others around them um, with the gifts and talents that they've been given. I love that. It's so relevant for young people who are who are going through that. And so often during that time, and if I'm perfectly honest, even sometimes now, I struggle with wanting to strive to be more. I am lacking. And so I am not enough. And I need to do more or I need to be more or I need to change. When so much of, you know, struggle or mental health or, or feeling fearful is rather than needing to add on, you need to remove the barriers and see yourself as greater than and see yourself as a child of God and seeing your identity in Christ. And it's not so much that you need more, it's actually you need to remove the the blockage that's that that's block you know hiding who you truly are. So I love that you're focused that that group is focused on identity. That's beautiful. I love it. Yes. It's it's not doing more, it's surrendering yes. more. We always say it's it's abiding versus striving. And I have to remind myself of that every day as a, I say an overachiever, you know, one way that I've learned to cope with anxiety, not the healthiest way is just by doing more and staying busy and thinking, oh, if I have all these things done, I'll, I'll feel better. But so that's very hard for me. Um, even though I, I try and practice what I preach here, but that's what we're trying to help other people see. It's doing, doing less sometimes surrendering more, um, not trying to achieve or strive. It's just abiding. It's just listening. It's just being connected and, and, and just sitting with the Lord and understanding that I'm, I'm loved and I'm, I'm valued regardless. I absolutely love that. And I'm curious, I'm curious if you could write yourself a letter, if you could go back in time, send yourself a voicemail, Knowing what you know today, knowing your journey and your experience and hearing the stories of so many others, what would you tell your younger self? Oh, Laura, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> I would tell myself you are enough. Hmm. You're not broken. It wasn't your fault. You are enough and you don't have to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. That's what the cross was for. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kimberly. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for listening. I encourage you to put what you've heard into action today. How are you going to be intentional about building a culture of care for both yourself and for others in your church? And I definitely recommend you checking out those resources at My Quiet Cave. If you want to be reminded of when episodes go live, make sure you subscribe. And I would be thrilled if you could write a review. This will really help others find the podcast more easily. Thanks for connecting. Take care.